The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine podcast about sex. I am New York Magazine sex columnist Maureen O'Connor, and with me today is the writer Alana Massey, whom... Listeners will remember from the time she told us the story of how she found true love when a man rescued her cat from an apartment fire. Lana, welcome back. Thank you. I think I didn't know what love was until that day. Neither did I until it (laughs) happened. And like, you know, screaming into the blizzard and flames, I was like, oh, so this is what that's like. (laughs) I understand why people get so upset over it. Wild love. So this week, I really wanted to talk to Alana about two recent columns that I love that she wrote. One called Why I'm Buying a House Without a Family to Put in It, another real estate and love-themed column, and one called Your Parents' Romantic Lives Don't Have to Determine Your Own. We associate domesticity so much with being coupled off, married, that kind of thing. Do you feel like your love life, you view your love life differently now that you're sort of looking at things on the scale of a house that's going to be yours for multiple years, most likely, as opposed to like a, you know, year-to-year rent or whatever? I think of domesticity like this is the first time it's ever occurred to me to be like i mean it's not nesting that's when you have a baby right when you, i have when you're no nest. idea i think so because i think you don't have a nest until there are eggs in it is it a nest if there are no eggs is it a house without a child <laughs> this is getting really crazy <laughs> there's no family to put it in i hate that also i hate that i i said I, I I mean, I, I picked the title that mm-hmm. like, the, you know, like why I'm buying a house with no family to put it in. And I hate the way people say like, oh, you don't have a family. I'm like, no, I don't have a child. Yeah. I you have, still have a family. family. <laughs> like people have families. They don't, have, you know, and th- this idea that you're, you're, you know, orphaned in the world if you have no children. I think it's. It's mean and it's exclusive and like There's that idea. It's strange that we assume that when someone grows up, it's like they outgrow the family they were born into in some way. And you're like, she doesn't have a family because now you need to like start some new generational family. Yeah. Um, and like I consider strange. couples families. And I consider like, again, people like have this idea of like chosen family, like, you mm-hmm. know, like your chosen family. And I think of my friends that way. And I have like, you know, like this, this, this house is very much, it's a very like family feeling project that's not mm-hmm. like, oh, I can't wait to turn this room into a nursery. It's like, oh, I can't wait to like, I, I just had a seven-piece dining room table delivered. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't wait to, like, invite everyone up for Thanksgiving and, like, you know, have my boyfriend cooking a turkey and have my friends, Mm -hmm. like, you know, in the gazebo. and like There's a gazebo, too? There's a gazebo. It's ridiculous. It's amazing (laughs) how somehow we went from, like, every episode of this podcast, me talking about, like, licking ass or whatever, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, tell me about the gazebo. Oh, well, there will be ass licking in the gazebo. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you're not allowed to stay. (laughs) Like, that's the password. (laughs) Lick my ass in the gazebo so I know it's real. Um, (laughs) I can go there. But, I mean, that's another thing that I like about having a house is um, you can have sex really loud in it. I mean, I believe in having loud sex even when you're in an apartment and there's someone next door being pissed at you because, like— if grown consenting adults can't have loud sex in the apartments they rent, then, like, where the fuck can it ever happen? Yeah. You know? Like, I am a firm believer in, like, be as loud as you 
damn want. And anyone who complains is just wrong because a baby will cry for hours on end. When I'm having loud sex, it isn't like hours on end, you know? Yeah, I guess. So my boyfriend has a roommate mm-hmm. and he has like also. So that's about, yeah. <laughs> there is some politeness when it's like somebody who you literally share space with. Yeah. And it well, I mean, for me, it's less politeness. And I mean, I'm like a crude monster like on the internet but like I'm like oh my god I don't want him to know we do sex <laughs> like he might hear something we say like that I'm yeah. I'm like terrified of anyone ever hearing my dirty talk I kind of like knowing that people hear my dirty talk do I I just said that to try out what it would feel like when I said that actually I'm not sure no I don't really want people to hear but I think I just don't care on some level I had this realization recently because I was thinking about my neighbor was throwing a party and it was pretty loud and I was sort of thinking like at what point can I ask him to like quiet it down or not or like maybe I I'm actually way too insecure to ever like ask someone to quiet down their party because I don't seem lame and old but um I was like well if he's throwing a party like I should at least let them party for like four to five hours before I ask them to quiet down and then I thought hey why would anyone ever have the right to tell you to quiet down during sex when a noisy party gets five hours of leeway? And I'm like, that's just pure sexual squeamishness, which I understand because sometimes you don't want it's it's like just intense. And it's a thing that you don't normally know about someone when you're like, oh, I know what that person sounds like when they have sex. Yeah. But on I, the other hand, I think it's also like sex will happen like at like midnight on a Wednesday. And I feel like yeah. parties are usually like Friday True. night things. True. I mean, sex should be happening, you know. I only have sex on Friday night. (laughs) (laughs) Put it in my my calendar. My neighbor, like, when she leaves the house, her dog barks for, like, two hours, like, every morning. And I just feel like if I'm going to listen to her dog bark, she can handle listening to me have orgasms every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Maybe I'm just really just noticing, like, quiet and, like, Mm -hmm. lack of people, like, being out there. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is my little kingdom. But it's, like, also because there's, like, a constant, like, energy and, like, hum in New York City. Even when it's, like, dead quiet, there's, like, you know, trains going underground and, like, energy moving around. Um, And so, like, the stillness of, like, a house in a, like, forested you know, mm-hmm. country road um, is very like, I mean, it, it's like alarming at first, but then you're like, oh, right. This is why I did this because yeah. like I sleep better here and like I'm old and I'm going to be rested for my wallpaper tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and then my friends are coming up and I'm getting my ass licked in the gazebo. Like what a life. <laughs> you what can be bliss. naked a lot better in an environment like that, I think, in that you can also be naked in your apartment in New York City, but you will at some point in your nudity be like committing a crime. Because <laughs> you can't be naked ever. You know, like you can go be naked in your yard, I imagine. In- well, so I, I could be naked in the wooded part of my yard. Ah. But not in the like it's that's the the thing that's sort of interesting is that like I have so like I have far fewer neighbors, but like you still have them. I have neighbors and they have like, you know, I've like gone to get the mail and they've like driven by and stopped and been like, hi, I'm Pat. I live down the road. Like multiple people have like introduced Mm -hmm. themselves. And so like late at night, I'll like be in my bedroom naked and I'm like the lights are on and like someone if someone drives by they will much more likely notice the naked person in the window than they might in New York City when you're like when there's like a thousand windows because it's like yeah. this is the only window for you know a good half mile with and then it's just like it. the and then you're the town tramp you and you're around each other you can't get away 
I like kind of like get excited about the idea that like, oh, she's that new girl in town. She's always naked in her bedroom. (laughs) The worst, I mean, the best worst thing that happened to me, I moved into the place that I currently live in in New York, which I've been in now for like five years or something. And it's really quiet because it's like the back, I face the back of the, the building. And on the other side is a junior high school, which is nice because like the junior high school, like it's quiet at night. Um, You know, they're not going to like do giant renovations on it, turn it into a skyscraper or something. However, you really can't be naked when your window is facing a junior high school. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Bad. Th- I don't even know. I like it's like this inherent squeamishness. And whenever like a guy is over and they're like naked walking around my house, I'm like, FYI, that's a junior high school. And the like the speed of people is like, ah, reactions to that. <laughs> Every now and then, some of that's kind of into it, and then you're like, ooh, bad news, bad news. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, that's a really good like test to like put someone through. It's like, do you like to be possibly naked in front of junior high school students? All right. <laughs> Like, do not pass go. Go directly to jail. (laughs) Indeed. So you wrote that article about the house. And then a little bit later, you wrote the article about feeling like whether or not you're replicating your parents' relationships in your own romantic relationship, which in my mind, I was like, that's really interesting because you're sort of looking at the idea of feeling like you must or like we're somehow destined to replicate our parents' relationships because that is such a pervasive Almost assumption that when I read that column, I realized that I had just been assuming that my love life on some level would be replicating my parents. Like my friend recently met a guy and she's like, well, but he has a really weird relationship with like his mother and I don't want to have kids have a weird relationship with me. And I was like, but you don't have to because like your your babies don't, you know, instantly replicate whatever yeah. their parents did. Yeah. The the reason I wrote that one was because I mm-hmm. was scared I wasn't going to. I mean, like, my parents met when they were 7 and 10 years old in a small town in Arkansas. Oh, my God. You know, my dad— Did they fall in love when they were really young, or they just knew each other? My dad actually had a crush on my mom's older sister because, like, he's three years older than uh-huh. my mom, and, like, they were in the same grade. And they—my mom and her sister lived down the street from, like, these two boys, and they ended up eventually, like— the two neighbor boys down here, like, married the two sisters down the street. Really? And, yeah. They swapped because your dad ended up with the— Yeah. Well, when he had a crush on. Yeah. So he, like, went away to college in California and then was, like, in West Memphis jogging, like, their hometown. And just, like, stopped by my mom's house to, like, say hello. Hi, I'm, like, back uh-huh. from college. And then they, he was like, well, hello. <laughs> Aren't you, like, a good-looking young lady now? <laughs> um, and they, like, hit it off and started dating. And But, like, they were, like, kids from Arkansas who had, like, progressive ideals. And so they, like, moved to San Francisco and were, like, hippies and, like, uh-huh. got married and then became yuppies. You know, moved all over creation and, like, had children and still just really intensely like they they just like my dad will like send the the family group text like pictures he finds of my mom like that are older and just he's so wildly like, in love and he's just like what on earth did i do in a past life to deserve such good luck that this beautiful woman would love me my mom had um she was like a you know like southern beauty queen who like she had six men ask her to marry her <sighs> She, like, that's crazy. Yeah, and she— This is also back when I think people would ask and, like, not knowing what the answer was going to be. Oh, I know! <laughs> and In some ways, I kind of wish that would still happen. I mean, I, I suppose it's, like, better for our culture and world that, like, we come to mutual decisions whether or not to marry. But I'm like, wouldn't it be fun if, like, you know, 
don't expect it. And some guy's just like, will you marry me? And you're like, no. <laughs> I think that would be so traumatic because I have this memory from high school of like re- really elaborate um, prom invites. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. like the sweetest boy in the world, like asked this girl and like had gotten like semi peripheral news like, oh, yeah, she'll probably say yes. Uh-oh. And he did it in like a very public way at like. Like, outside of their CCD class in front of, like... What's CCD? Catholic oh. um, class. Like, mm-hmm. it's... I don't know, like, what the equivalent would be. But it's, like, after Learning school... Learning about like, Catholicism. Yeah, yeah, like, to, like, get confirmed, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the Catholic Church. And there was, like, you know, 15 of their peers as he, like... Oh, he, no. he did, like, a big thing on the driveway with, like, rose petals. And then I... Oh, no. <laughs> he spelled, like, will prom, question mark? Like, or... <laughs> I like that. I, I don't know what it actually was. I wasn't there, but I like still think about it. And like, he's oh, fine. He's like, you know, a very successful and well put, you know, he wasn't like traumatized by it. But like, I still think about it. And I'm like, that poor boy. You know, in some crazy way, I think. They weren't called promposals then. But no. But. They are now. In some weird way, I think. I would almost rather be turned down in a moment like that than have to say no to someone else. Because the feeling of like, I'm shattering someone. Is so like the guilt. I imagine the guilt, feeling that guilty to be worse than feeling that embarrassed. I'd rather be embarrassed than guilty, is what I think I'm coming down to right now. Yeah. Like rejection is not as difficult as guilt for me. Again, I don't think that like, this is like a bad precedent to be like, she should have just said yes and then listen <laughs> later. You yeah. Know? Like I would be like, sure, I'll go to the prom with you and then be like, oh, JK, well, I can't. You know what? That is really wise. That is also something about your tolerance for sort of like white lies. And I absolutely would do that too. I absolutely would do that. And I think probably in the moment I'd be like, I must love this person because something romantic is happening to me. And then I'd be like, wait, no. Yeah. I'm really easily tricked. I see the like jumbotron proposals. And I'm like, who? What? Who? Who wants to get like proposed to at a baseball game? Like, but that's because I don't like baseball. But yeah. I really do like the idea of like an elaborate public proposal that will make people be like, oh, look at that lovely couple. You know, what we've just established. If anybody wants to do an elaborate, spontaneous proposal to either of us, we're both going to say yes. <laughs> I know. We have established that. Does anyone want to propose to us? You Give know? it a whirl, guys. You know? Oh, wow. I think I'm going to do like a divorce proposal next time I have to dump someone. Break up proposal. Um, my friend's older brother in high school, like, for some reason, just, like, kept dating this girl he really didn't like. And then he broke up with her by sending her, like, very retro Photoshop, like, early age Photoshop of, like, a town population sign. And it said, welcome to Dumpsville Population Year. What? That's, like, something that would happen on, like, a really upsetting episode of Degrassi. I can't believe someone did that. I know. What did she do? She was like. Is this a joke? Wow, my boyfriend's a dork. I'm glad we broke up. <laughs> right? But it's People also- go crazy when they're breaking up, though. Like, somebody can be perfectly great in a relationship, and then at the moment of the breakup, they go completely bonkers. Or vice versa. Someone can be the biggest ass on the planet, but it turns out they're just, like, great at breaking up, and they're totally chill about it. I yeah. find that that to be a completely spontaneous thing. That you just, like, cannot predict what's going to happen. Yeah. I I am very suspicious of people who are chill during breakups. Yeah, that's actually, like... A sign of sociopathy, maybe. Now right? that I think about it, I'm super chill with breakups. <laughs> uh, like, well, you know what it is? It's that when you're chill with a breakup, you're just like, oh, I guess I didn't like that relationship after all, because like it does not wound me whatsoever to lose yeah, you. I was capable of being chill in like communications that probably made me like 
uh. infuriating to talk to because like I would I like I'm always that person like keeps getting calls that are like and I have another thing to say okay and I was like <laughs> okay and then they would say something like really inflammatory that was like designed to make me like fight with them and like mm-hmm. continue the like ongoing breakup and I would just be like okay is, is that what you needed to say Oh my god, that's so the ultimate. And, when when someone was, does that to you, that's when you go totally crazy too. And right? he was like, "Yes," <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, well, thanks." I and I just like hung up and was like, "That made it so much easier." It's like the it's like the Justin Bieber "Sorry" song. <laughs> no, it uh, "Love Yourself." The one that's like, "Oh yeah," I I didn't want to have to tell you this, but my mom hates you too. It's like, okay, thanks for making that easier. Yeah. Um. So I I do do the chill thing in breakups, like even when I've like gone that's like, nuclear in the discipline. like and i'm just like well the reason i did this and it's just so hor- I, I imagine so it's awful i have one friend who's super good at that too and i always like i i view it like a superpower that she can like hold her tongue and be super disciplined of like i'm not gonna reply because i'm always the like ah, you know <laughs> and another thing yeah i like i'm like i've only once gone totally it. crazy in a breakup um and it was like total hell, actually. That I was like, oh my God, is this what it feels like? This is why people go completely insane. Yeah. Um, and then it's been suggesting to me that they're like, does that mean you only actually loved someone once? And I was like, maybe. I think the communicate, I think, I mean, I have a lot of internal turmoil about yeah. these things, but like, I'm such a competitive. <laughs> you win. You I, win the I, breakup. Yeah. I like. That's so it, important. It really is. It it just, like, sets you on the right foot forward, I believe. (laughs) I mean, I feel, I felt like dating was competitive. Like, I felt like I had to win on first dates and, like, win, like, every relationship. And I don't feel that way anymore. Um, Maybe because I'm in a very happy Because you're in a good relationship. (laughs) Wait, so is he going to move with you to the house? He is not because, I, I don't know what the future will bring, but he comes up and I come down here. I drive two hours. You know, I come in during. now? I, once again, yuppie scum, I have a Toyota RAV4 in Pacific Blue that Woo-hoo. my mom, again, like supportive parents and families who love each other, they were like, you know, some kids are just like supported endlessly into their 30s. Like, mm-hmm. you have like peers that are like still having their parents pay their rent. And, like, yeah. I didn't have that. And like, my dad's not like a big, here, have all this stuff. And then I was buying the house and I was like, yeah, and I have to get a car too. Um, and then I was like, hey, maybe I can buy dad's car. And then my dad was like, why don't I just give you the car? And so my mom drove a car from Oregon to New York. Oh, wow. To, well, like, your parents love to, you. To, like, give it to me. They don't just love each other. They love you. Yeah. It's weird because we're not, like, an intimate family, but it's a very loving family. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not like, oh, like, my mom's my best friend. I'm like, no, my mom is my mom. I guess in some ways we think our destiny is to replicate our parents in general, or it's sort of an assumption we make about people. Well, I do think there's definitely some, like, validity to the idea. I can feel myself making, like, faces my mom makes. Yeah. And, like, becoming my parents in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, I think that it's, like, an oversimplification to say, like, oh, we're, like, in a new paradigm with relationships and, like, we're doing things very differently now. For the most part, people do, you know, like, used to, on autopilot, like, replicate their parents' values and replicate their Mm -hmm. parents' kinds of marriages and, like— you, if you know, you would like marry a, an Episcopalian if you were an Episcopalian, and yeah. like you would marry within your town, and like all of these things that you know, like shifted dramatically over like the last hundred years. It's not like our generation specifically, but that our like moral compass about like what families should look like hasn't really caught up with like the lived reality that 
there are a lot of different ways of like having a relationship in a family. Mm-hmm. And when we are, I mean, does it feel from nuclear families? It's like yeah. that's the one we witnessed. It makes sense that that would be the one that ours will look like or should look like. Or in the cases of children of divorce, mm-hmm. like people who are like, I really don't want that to happen. I think that even the fear of that is like built into like, oh, that's because like we like consider divorce such a moral failing when it's not. It's okay for the like yeah. for like relationships to end in this way. And I hate that idea that it's a successful marriage only if it lasts forever. I know. Like, what other realm of the world do we define success as like everlasting? Exactly. Especially when you say like it's a failed marriage, it's like what if it produced like lovely children and like yeah, good that's years not a of failure. Your life and like it made people grow as people. And like I am a very monogamously mm-hmm. oriented person, and like I do want the whole notebook thing. But like who knows? Like maybe I'll be a glamorous divorcee. Like it could happen, you know, or a glamorous uh, widow, ooh, or like a mysterious widow, a widow who kills her husband. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we're working Buried up to Buried him now. under the gazebo. Yes. Um, because he didn't know the password. Um. <laughs> it seems like there's this sort of freedom to realize that you're like, oh, my God, my life is really my life. I can choose it. I can choose if I live in a city or if I buy a house now. I can choose whether I'm replicating what my parents did or something totally different. Yeah. And also you don't have, like, the feeling of, like, I I feel like I don't have like, like like accepting that I didn't have control over mm-hmm. like like whether or not I would end up like them um was like oh like yeah like it's not really up to me to like yeah fall head over heels in love when I'm 24 and get married to like a guy I've known my entire life um because like for one thing I've, I one of the things was like aging out of like the marriage in your 20s thing yeah. Which, like, I'm glad I didn't get married in my 20s. But I'm like, oh, like, that's not going to be, like, my story. Yeah. I, I also wrote about, like, the meet cute thing with, mm-hmm. like, there was, like, a boy from my high school who I had a crush on who I went on a date with in the winter. And I had, like, all of these future tripping things. Like, oh, my God, it's going to be so cute when we got married because we loved yeah. him. I loved him in high school. And, and, like, it was, like, a super embarrassing story about high school. And then it, like, didn't go anywhere. And I was like, oh, well, like, now... There's no one from my childhood that, like, is of any interest to me. Like, that whole possibility has, mm-hmm. like, been taken off the table. And it's, it's like, liberating because it's yeah. like, oh, it's going to be something different. It's going to be a different story. Even, like, my boyfriend now, if you had asked me when I was 25, like, what do you think your, like, future big love is going to be like, I would have been so surprised if you had shown me, yeah. Greg. You know? Not How because, did you guys meet? Um, we met on Bumble. Oh, my gosh. I love that. You must have been an early Bumble user. Was I? I don't know. How long have you guys been together now? Um, Like nine months. Hmm. I, I that's... Well, yeah, yeah. I, I was... It, this is the thing that's horrible. Um, I mean, it's not horrible, but it's funny. Is that, like, I have been internet dating since I was 23. I've used, like, all of the apps. Like, I've been mm-hmm. on literally, like, hundreds of, like, first Tinder, OkCupid internet dates. And I was the first one he ever went on. 
Uh, and he had like always like met people IRL and then he like went on like one bumble date and like got a girlfriend out of it. I was like, I should like throw you to the wilds of Tinder so you like have to just actually so you know just so you know what I've been through. I'm working on a story about Tinder now and for I believe it's 18 to 24 year olds in New York City. 80% of single men have used Tinder. 60% of single women in that age group have used Tinder at some point. The definition of dating is just on Tinder. Like, yeah. it is, that's what it is. What it is to be a single person looking to meet somebody is to turn on Tinder. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I would go, I was, like, trying for, like, very brief period one time, like, even, like, five years ago when it was, like, I guess it wasn't five years ago I was in a relationship, but, like, mm-hmm. a few years ago. And you can't go to a bar anymore and, like, see single people. Like, people are single, but they're on they're Tinder They're waiting dates. for their Tinder dates. They're all on Tinder dates. Like, I would see people that I had seen on Tinder on their other Tinder dates. And I, I was, was like, just talking to him. Like, he's, you know. I was talking to um, another person on this podcast, and she's like, it's crazy. If someone hits on me at a bar, I assume they're a psychopath. There was a time when I thought somebody who online dated was the crazy person, but now it's a person who hits on people at bars. But ironically, I've just come around to switching to IRL dating, actually. So I think it's whenever it's the crazy person activity is when I participate in it. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's safe. Yeah. (laughs) It's the correct way to do things. Yeah. It seems like there's this sort of freedom to realize that you're like, oh, my God, my life is really my life. I can choose it. I can choose if I live in a city or if I buy a house now. I can choose whether I'm replicating what my parents did or something totally different. Yeah. A friend of mine who got married via, like, she met her husband on Mm Match.com and was really nervous about telling her mom, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I met this guy on the internet because they met in, like, 2009. She was like, I don't know how my mom will feel about this. And like nowadays is like everyone's mom is like, you got to fire up Tinder and you got to go find a guy. And like everyone should be dating on the Internet. Like you got to go get him. Like make your account. It's parents, I think, who are like, have you considered all your like Internet options? Those are okay now. Like I feel like even. Internet dating is strangely because I think it used to have the stigma of either A, desperation or B, random hookups but now it's sort of like you turn on the internet when you actually want a boyfriend yeah like if you just want to bang you just pick up any dude at the bar but like if you're actually like well we're gonna share details about our lives and talk about our resumes and that's what you do on the internet like you find boyfriends there yeah and i also like maybe that's why i switched from (laughs) i quit using the internet when it stopped being sleazy hookups and started being (laughs) boyfriends and i was like i'm out of (laughs) here Like, what are all these? Why are all these boys on Tinder wearing their shirts and their pictures now? (laughs) Yeah. The day people started wearing their collared shirts with ties, I was like, I'm done. Where are all those guys taking pictures in the front seat of their trucks? (laughs) (laughs) That looks like a LinkedIn profile. Exactly. Um, Once it starts looking like LinkedIn, I'm done. LinkedIn recently suggested two exes to me, people that I, like, dated for a long time. They just have the best algorithm for finding your, like, regrettable ways. And I really want to know how they know because I've never emailed I'd like to know that algorithm. Can we just do the regrettable lay algorithm (laughs) and just plug it into every time you meet somebody? Like, you're like, hey, hon, fun date. Can I look at your LinkedIn real quick? And you can see every regrettable person he's ever fucked. Oh, my God. I should do that. (laughs) You just gave away your million-dollar idea. Don't put this on. Yeah. (laughs) Don't put this on the podcast. Maureen has a startup idea. 
So I was reading about the scariest myth I've ever read. And it was the story of this like evil rape demon with a penis as long as its body that comes and kidnaps like women that are like having sexual dreams or something. But that's not even the worst part. Kidnaps her, rapes her. And after it impregnates you, you go through the entire pregnancy in 24 hours. Like you like swell up, give birth to a baby. And then the next day it starts again as soon as you do it. And for the rest of your life, every 24 hours, you go through a full pregnancy and give birth. Can you kill yourself? I don't know. But it was literally the scariest thing I've ever envisioned in my life. Yeah. Which I now think of that the only thing that could make it worse would be if you're swelling up and having your baby every 24 hours and you're in a birthing pool (laughs) in a small room and it smells bad. Someone told me that, you know, the Jersey Devil? No. Wow. What's the Jersey Devil? It's like this hoofed, winged devil demon creature that Uh lives in the pine barrens in south jersey that like everyone knows and it was like the this like old woman in the forest um had 12 children and then she had her 13th child and she was like cursing her pregnancy the whole time and the baby so when she was giving birth the baby flew out of her and off into the woods and became the jersey devil and what does he do he like kills people in the pine barrens ah um like and it's all and there's like a there's like a sopranos episode about it where it's like ah. oh, jk actually it's just the mob <laughs> kills people <laughs> out of the pine barrens um but like there's like been vice articles where it's like i went searching for the jersey devil and like there's hoof prints in the dirt the jersey mm-hmm. devil's like scratched at the car it was actually my ex-boyfriend's sister who's who told me the part about like the baby flying out that's I like have had nightmares about like babies flying out about of like demonic babies flying out of me. On the other hand, of, though, if you're gonna give birth, the baby flying out at rapid speed sounds kind <laughs> of ideal. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> take care of it yourself, baby. Yeah, because I also imagine it like being like you know how Superman like becomes like elongated when he's like you know because <laughs> like, if the baby would just like do a dive, yeah, it if would it be like a lot- stretched itself out and got real skinny and just yeah. I could give birth if the baby flew out of me. Yeah, I would like to have a Jersey Devil, I think. That's it for Sex Lives. Thank you so much for coming on, Alana. It was my pleasure. Yeah, once you once you make further renovations, once you've got the baby room going, come back there and tell is, us how that is. There is already an antique cradle in the guest room, so Ooh. I'm close. Either that or you're just going to baby your guests. That, yeah, could be that. (laughs) You'll find out next time. Just a reminder, you can always call our voicemail line at 646-494-3590. This week, give us a call about how real estate affects your love life, where you're living, what it does to you, if it changes your outlook, your mind, and what activities are best done in gazebos. So give us a call. um, And thanks for listening. What am I doing? Sex Lives is produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Afim Shapiro. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Um, Give us a call, 646-494-3590. See you next week, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 